0: But actually telling people to behave a certain way, we we know is not particularly effective. Uh, What is effective is creating the conditions where those things happen naturally. So creating a team where people trust each other, uh, creating a team where people know that an idea they have will be listened to, uh, creating a culture where people feel and sense that they can be better and that their team can be better.
1: you're listening to the medical protection podcast real world series where we expose the pain points and explore how we navigate the complexity of healthcare today my name is dr najib rahman i'm an emergency medicine consultant in the nhs as well as a senior medical educator with mps we recognize that safety namely our ability to trust communicate and create is vital for enhanced team working and decision making in the complex world of modern healthcare delivery however how do we develop such a high performing culture it remains a challenge in the broader sense training is always considered an integral component to improving delivery systems and simulation is a powerful educational tool to ensure that link between the workplace and the training environment to improve safety and effectiveness of our services in today's episode we're going to develop a deeper understanding of the role of simulation training and the challenges and opportunities that exist in utilizing this tool in improving psychological safety. Joining me today is Dr. Eve Purdy. Eve is an emergency physician and applied anthropologist based out of Gold Coast University Hospital. Having completed fellowships in translational simulation and team performance, Eve has a passion for understanding how we better work together for us and our patients. Really pleased that you're joining us, Eve, welcome.
0: Thanks for having me, pleased to be here.
1: So, Eve, just to start off, I was reading a bit about your bio, and I hope you be able to share a bit of your journey in healthcare and anthropology and how this relates to your interest in simulation. It sounds really interesting as how we develop ourselves as advocates for medical education and training, even though many of us might not have had those similar opportunities and experiences. So I think there'll be lots to learn and appreciate from how you got to where you are now.
0: Yeah, sure. I can share a little bit about uh, the journey to where I find myself now. Uh, I, like everybody who's going through medical training, found myself as a medical student rotating through hospitals uh, and rotating through different services. And just as you're starting to get comfortable, you move on to a new service and to a new group. Uh, And I found that experience um, both fascinating, but also really hard. Um, And the piece of it that I found hard was not actually the medicine. Uh, It was trying to figure out how you belonged in and amongst a new group of people. Uh, And so I I really was trying to understand this experience for myself. And uh, that's how I got a bit interested in medical education, because I could see this transformation that was happening. Uh, But when I took an educator's lens to this, Uh, I found that that wasn't quite enough to describe what was happening. Um, So I thought about doing some uh, higher education and a, you know, a master's of medical education, but I realized that what I was, you know, fundamentally going through and experiencing in all of these places in the hospital was cultural differences. Um, There was a little bit of, um, you know, content differences between spending time on a cardiology ward versus an emergency department. Um, but fundamentally, there was differences in values, differences in behaviors, differences in the way that people treated each other. Uh, and I really wanted to understand more about how organizational culture impacts the way that we do our work in teams, um, because I felt it so dramatically as a, as a medical student and as an early trainee, bouncing between all of what are just different tribes in the hospital.
1: So, So I guess many of us, you know, through training would have experienced some form of simulation, either as participants or facilitators. And you know, what do you feel the power of simulation really is in that concept as known as the safe container? I think you know we've heard that often when we get, uh, especially as facilitators, when we get trained to run simulation, we talk about simulation being this safe space. Would you mind sharing some understanding about what that means for the audience?
0: Oh, you bet. Look, I am fortunate enough to have trained as an emergency physician, really as as a child of simulation. Uh, From day one in my medical training all the way through residency, I was exposed um, and a participant in simulation. Um, And most of that simulation was directed at making me uh, learn some behaviors and some team leadership behaviors, as well as some medical content. In uh, the simulation that I participated in, I think you know went a long way towards achieving those goals um, in part because the facilitators who I was lucky enough to be um, uh, working with and learning from, uh, went uh, to great lengths to set up a kind of a safe learning environment. And I guess if we unpack what that looks like, um, that looks like participants Feeling like they can come into a simulation and take some risks, maybe do something that they've not done before with people uh, who they work with, um, and really put themselves and some of their vulnerability on show um, to facilitate learning. Uh, And so there's any number of things that simulation facilitators do to create a safe environment. The simplest thing is introductions, uh, giving people clear expectations of what uh, is going to take place during the day, uh, and then relentlessly making efforts to maintain rapport throughout uh, that learning conversation. Uh, and again, I was lucky enough to to be on the receiving end of a really excellent uh, simulation, specifically as it relates to you know becoming a better doctor. Uh, Um, And so I have had a, a, you know, a very positive experience with simulation. I know that that is not necessarily mirrored by everybody because if you're not fortunate enough to um, have been exposed early to facilitators that are paying a lot of attention um, to creating a safe space and a safe, safe container for learning um, there can be some fairly kind of scarring experiences that happen for people. So if you're feeling really, judged in a negative way. Um, Perhaps it's related to assessment that brings a lot of anxiety. Um, If that is your idea of simulation, then it can set you up a bit problematically moving forward. But I I was lucky enough really for my 10 years of of medical training before I became a consultant to uh, have been exposed to this as an extremely powerful kind of personal learning tool. Uh, And I guess that has served as a bit of a launch point for me thinking about if this can be such a powerful personal learning tool, maybe it can be a really powerful social learning tool um, for our groups. Um, and that's what I spend most of my time thinking about now is uh, if this can be such a great tool for individuals, how can we capitalize on the potential benefits for um, larger groups?
1: Well, that's really interesting. I'm trying to reflect back on some of my own early experiences. Wow, I must be going more than a decade ago now or so. But I remember we went for a simulation training um, uh, session and there was kind of three of us as trainees going sequentially into this uh, into this booth. But in that simulation, we were, as the solo practitioner, there, there wasn't that many helpers. And I remember one of my colleagues really struggled. They had to leave the sim because they found it so overwhelming. Um, mm. With that intensity, knowing that they were being observed and every decision was being watched, whereas I think others were, as you said, able to kind of use that, The safe space. And despite the reassurance of saying, you know, what happens in SIM sim stays in SIM, I think from what you're saying, the reality is, is far more nuanced than that, or maybe not even nuanced, maybe it's fairly clear that there's stuff that happens before SIM, during SIM, after SIM that all impacts that experience and the opportunities to be gained.
0: Yeah, I think you're so right there. So um, certainly there's a lot that individuals bring into simulation and that may be some things like their past experiences, perhaps negative or positive with simulation. But really a lot of it, I think, boils down to the relationships with the people that they have, uh, perhaps as other participants, but especially the facilitators who um, are uh, responsible for creating this environment. So if I'm a real... Jerk of a consultant on the floor, I can't expect people to come Mm, into a simulation that I'm facilitating and expect at all that they will feel like they can engage in it uh, in a way that is vulnerable. Uh, So, really, um, there's this trust that has to be built and exist. Um, And there's some of that that we can actually do in the simulation, but there's a lot of good that can happen before. So, if the people that are coming in, know that I have a vested interest in them, that I I care about them, that I'm interested in them becoming the best clinician that they can. Oh, that goes a long ways in uh, in making this a positive experience for them. Uh, So I think being really attuned to what are your relationships, positive or negative, or is it a non-existent relationship? And this is something that you've got to pay a lot of attention to in that first 10 or 15 minutes that you're with people. uh, I think is is probably underdone and under uh, underthought about. So, as a department, being really considerate about who you're having running these programs, they have to have a credibility with learners. They have to have relationships with. Um, and, and I use the term now learners loosely because I think uh, participants is a is a better word. We're not actually trying to teach uh, professionals mm, yeah, something. Yeah. Uh, we're creating a space where they can discover and grow um, together uh, and. But the the role of the facilitator in that is is probably very important.
1: So so that's, you know, I like the way you said, if if you're a jerk of a consultant on on a shop floor. So that requires, I guess, two prerequisites. One is that you have a bit of insight into your strengths and weaknesses as being a jerk or an educator in some ways, both pre-sim and out sim But I guess that also leads to the challenge of where, you know, departments are so varied and different sizes um sometimes sim is delivered just because it's mandated to be delivered and so you're stuck with who you have and then other times you've got such a large department where because of shift patterns etc you might not ever even know who's running sim to have that trust and relationship on the shop floor so you know can some of this be mitigated by the facilitator themselves having some you know coaching training etc in order how to be a better sim facilitator and is that kind of almost Bit of a prerequisite to set up a program um it, yeah so it'd be good to get your thoughts on that as being the, you know being the, the ideal facilitator in some ways given the complexity of of the nature of healthcare delivery environments
0: yeah so i mean there's no doubt that people bring something into simulation but we also have this opportunity to shape that experience in the moment um, and uh there are very kind of quite simple but um things that you need to be deliberate about uh, that can really impact and shape people's psychological safety. Um, So things like how you are going to introduce everybody in the room, uh, how you are going to orient people to simulation. Are you going to send out pre-readings in advance? Uh, All of these things have the ability to impact simulation. And I think the more opportunity that facilitators have to reflect on that and think about it, um, the better they will be at sorting out, uh, and really fostering psychological safety in that space. So there, there are lots of opportunities for people to learn about how to do that. Um, maybe some training of some kind, I think a lot of apprenticeship, uh, and seeing other people who do it well, uh, is important. Um, but then there's, um, any number of good podcasts, some really core fundamental articles. So Jenny Rudolph's Creating a Safe Container uh, really is a great starting place. I think as soon as somebody is attuned to or aware of the fact that this is something that they want to do, they probably will be on their well on their way to uh, success in making it happen.
1: Yeah, no, that's some great, great advice and tips in, in really kind of investing in one's own personal development to be a better facilitator. So just to kind of clarify my mind, so we've we've kind of gone over the idea that you know simulation is really a quintessential tool for modern medical education. You know, we, we can't have modern MedEd without having simulation involved in some way, shape, or form. And then the other aspect is recognizing that it's not static, it's, it's permeous. You know, there's stuff that happens in and around sim. And in order to kind of capitalize on that, you need. Great facilitators as well that are invested in this process. Now, my my own historical experience of SIM, again, as a, as a learner um, or as a participant, is, is often people will look at some of the team behaviors and characteristics, et cetera. But then how do you shift that, you know, to to this broader context of culture and psychological safety? Because a lot of what you've described about having a really good SIM program is partly linked to culture and You know, as you said, that's what kind of interferes or influences that sim experience and potentially has the amplification when you leave. So, how do you move from, I guess, the traditional model of just exploring team dynamics and team behavior, but actually broadening that scope and, you know, capitalizing the opportunity of psychological safety?
0: Yeah, I think this is really kind of the next step for simulation and for departments because, uh, in some ways, we have limited ourselves. by our history. So really, if we look at wh- how simulation started to become embedded in medical education, it largely started in anesthetics. Um, and a lot of the uh, a lot of the teaching and learning comes from crisis resource management, which is a very specific um, type of, Background uh, that focuses purely on some good behaviors that we know lead to good patient outcomes, and those are things like uh, that we've all heard thrown around in simulation rooms around the place, like a shared mental model and closed loop communication and uh, role allocation, which are really important, right?
1: They're all really important, totally important.
0: Yeah, because we know that they lead to good. uh, We know that they lead to good outcomes. So we've. In simulation, we've kind of gone, you need to speak up, you need to role allocate, you need to do these things, Um, but actually telling people to behave a certain way, we we know is not particularly effective. Uh, What is effective is creating the conditions where those things happen naturally. So creating a team where people trust each other, uh, creating a team where people know that an idea they have will be listened to. Uh, creating a culture where people feel and sense that they can be better and that their team can be better. Um, So if we can start to create the cultural conditions that lead to good behaviors, uh, that means that we don't have to train 10,000 people in the behavior. Um, They will just enter the environment or enter the team and automatically participate in those behaviors um, because the conditions allow for it. Uh, And one of the really cool things that we're seeing in simulation is that it is this space where we can actually start to incubate the cultural values that are important for a team. So for example, uh, if in a specific simulation, I'll give you an example of the simulation that I did today. Uh, One of the nurses um, was responsible for drawing up drugs Uh, and one of the more senior nurses started talking about how they weren't very busy in their role and so they went to go see if this more junior nurse needed any help and she started that by saying look I uh, I didn't want to step on any toes and I wasn't sure really it's not what I was assigned to but if you now as a group get to step back and say no that type of cross monitoring that type of helping out is exactly what we want in our department Uh, that is exactly what we value. Uh, then all of a sudden they go back to the floor that day, um, understanding that, you know, we're not here to be in a competition. We're here to, uh, effectively cross monitor and and help each other out. Or another example was that same drug nurse said, look, I was drawing up hydrocortisone and in this situation, I don't really know what it was for. I didn't know why we were giving it but I looked around the room and I looked at the other drugs that we were drawing up and I I actually just trusted that this was the right thing. And so then we got to have a conversation about trust uh, and what would be the threshold for saying, Hey, what's this for? This doesn't seem like the right drug. Uh, And we ended up having this discussion between our medical staff and our nursing staff about how we develop and manufacture trust in our team. Uh, And, I think if we can start to have those types of conversations, uh, that will be really meaningful for our group. Because now all of a sudden, these 10 people who are participating in the simulation go back to the floor a little bit more attuned to how they figure out they're trusting their colleagues or not, uh, which is something that makes healthcare work or not.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. So thanks for sharing that story. And I think I'm going to try and put you up in a couple more stories because I think it'll just help to illustrate some of these concepts and challenges in a bit more detail and, I, and i'm trying to i'm trying to think here of you know the level of sim that you're involved with uh you know as an expert in that in that field and i'm trying to think of maybe what sim looks like in different environments um you know going from the standard advanced life support courses or something like that ranging through to the full kind of participatory in-situ shop floor sim uh, and anything in between would you I mean, have you seen negative experiences from participants where there's been stuff that's come into SIM because of that cultural dynamic, whether that actually the SIM has either made things worse or has not added any value, and those same behavior, you know, so sort of those same cultural aspects and have been exported and have remained on the shop floor.
0: Uh, yes, is the <laughs> short answer to that. Uh, A slightly longer answer to that, uh, that I think won't out any particular kind of group that I've worked with, uh, is something that is a common problem that we see in simulation, uh, which is simulation really uh, being designed for kind of the medical people that are in the room. So even if it's called interprofessional, in air quotes, uh, the objectives clearly are designed to get at medical decision making or clinical reason medical clinical reasoning. And the nurses are there just acting as props for the physician participants uh, and really not uh, having authentic challenges. Um, and that has the potential to be so problematic uh, because it sends a strong value signal. Uh, the design of the simulation sends a value signal to your group that, yeah, well, the nurses are actually just here for the doctors. Uh, yeah, go make which, a phone call
1: and call the specialist, please, kind of thing. And that's the role that's been designed for the nurse or something like that.
0: Yeah, exactly. But, or, yeah. you know, you're asking them to drop drugs, but you haven't actually created that task for them. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. so I've seen, uh, I've seen that early in COVID, um, had seen at a couple of hospitals. Obviously, there's any number of really excellent examples of um, simulation in COVID. Uh, but I saw certainly a number of problematic examples where it potentially ramped up anxiety uh, and um, got people into a more problematic place than maybe they had started out. So I do think that the, the kind of diagnostic aspect of a group before you decide this is something that's right is very important so some some teams actually just don't have enough psychological safety trust relationships with each other to come into a room and be challenged uh yeah and and that's okay actually there's other ways to think about um how to help teams like that uh but the opportunity that exists, if you can take a team that's maybe on the cusp and bring them into a place and face them with some authentic challenges uh, and talk about it, uh, really has the opportunity to help them grow. but there there certainly is uh, risk. And I think just like this can simulation can be this place to incubate uh, really good team culture and values. Um, In the hands of the wrong facilitator, in the hands of uh, the wrong objectives, it can can also really incubate and amplify problematic things. So uh, it is a bit risky.
1: So so this has got me thinking a little bit. And I know just before we caught up on the podcast, I was saying that I've been lucky enough to participate in some of kind of uh, humanitarian response uh, settings and stuff like that. And and one of the things that we focus a lot on is team dynamics. And we, you know, you, you have a, a pre-brief together for maybe weeks, you train together before you deploy, you deploy together, you live together for a time, and you debrief afterwards. And and definitely the, the successful uh you know trips have been when the teams have really worked and they they trust each other implicitly. Um and then, you know, going back to to your experiences and your research and things, does this mean we need to kind of to kind of uh, think differently about sim and the opportunity it represents so is there sim for different purposes you know you started saying by yeah, sim traditionally came for this crew resource management you know this technical skill set but do we need to start thinking of you know sim designed for psychological psychological safety enhancement and almost maybe a way to, to almost pre-assess team dynamics and psychological safety and use sim to explore and unpick some of the challenges and is that where you think the next stage is going to be for some of this stuff? Uh,
0: you know, I think that um, we really have underdone simulation as an exploration tool. So I think right now people think of simulation as an intervention for teams, um, meaning you know we've uh, we want these people to learn this thing, or we want the cath lab to get better at doing caths, so we're going to create some sims for that to happen. Uh, it's it, and it fits nicely with our medical intervention logic, um, but I think the anthropologist in me sees simulation as this really powerful time to actually just understand what what is going on uh, and what is what is happening here. Uh, and so I think if we can go into it with a mindset of just understanding what is even happening in teams, that can be a really powerful uh, that can be a really powerful tool. If the side effect of that um, is that we are potentially positively impacting uh, their culture. and I, I don't like the positive negative, but we are shaping uh, their culture in some way, whether we want to or not. I think that that will happen. Um, but I guess always being aware of is this a you know, is this a diagnosis, an exploration tool or is this an intervention tool? Um, and I would say, powerfully it is often it's most powerful in its exploration of teams um and even just allowing them to explore together because we do a lot of teamwork but we don't think much about it
1: yeah no absolutely and i I guess then by extension one of the the questions would be is is that approach universal you know will this work in in a range of countries languages settings um, or do you need to have almost kind of a, a preset, you know, health culture already in order to be able to embrace this?
0: Yeah, I think there is. Uh, there's a little bit of data about some cultural differences in simulation, particularly around debriefing in different cultural groups. My guess, though, is that there is a bigger difference, you know, from one organization to the next, or within our hospital, one department to the next, than there would be. Uh, from one country to the next. I think teams that are willing to engage in, you know, the highest performing teams would be willing to engage in this um, because it's all about uh, understanding who we are and figuring out how to get better. Um, And so I I think that uh, sense of continuous improvement that exists in high performing teams would be a fairly universal quality. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's that every team is ready. Uh, but I've, I just am not. I'm not sure that that would be as much a geographic cultural difference as it would be an organizational cultural difference.
1: Yeah. No. Okay. That makes sense. That makes real good sense. Super, Eve. Thank you so much for that whistle top tour um, through the role of sim and psychological safety. It's definitely something I don't think um, I appreciated. To the same degree that you know how valuable simulation can be to strengthening our teams and and really trying to hit those higher peaks of performance, uh, ultimately to prevent patient harm. So thank you for that.
0: Yeah, and I guess the only thing that I would add in addition would be that uh, being attuned to this in the world of simulation uh, has dramatically spilled into my clinical work in um, the way that I approach my teams on a daily basis um, in the way that I tried to lead my teams on a daily basis from simple things like how we introduce each other in the morning um, to identifying goals to improve to debriefing at the end of the shift, um, being attuned to uh, how just fundamentally important this is to humans as they learn and grow and try to get better. Uh, I think if we're paying attention to it in simulation, uh, then we should probably be uh, paying attention to it in the real world. And the uh, real magnifying glass that simulation has provided our community for understanding how important this is, uh, I think, is just a, a real gift and something that we should all jump on the opportunity to improve in our in our clinical work as well.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, what happens in sim does not have to stay in sim.
0: <laughs> so yeah, nice. nor should it.
1: <laughs> Great. So I think just to, to finish off, you know, um, I don't know if there's something from your own career journey or places you've been that, you know, you look back fondly now and say, you know, that was a critical moment and, you know, you recognize that. And I wonder if there's something you were able to share from from that journey.
0: Oh, yeah, I guess there'd be two uh, two things that I guess serve as some further reading for everybody as well. Uh, one would be uh, if you've not watched the talk, uh, Timing, Tribes, and STEMIs uh, by Victoria Brazel that's available online. Uh, that really was a moment when I decided that I wanted to study anthropology and understand how culture impacts the way that we do our work in the hospital. That was a total turning point. Uh, and then the second, if you're looking for a good audiobook or an easy read about all this uh, type of work, uh, is uh, The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle. Uh, And it's a really accessible read that allows you to understand uh, just how important culture is in uh, getting our teams to perform at their best. Uh, So either of those would certainly were transformative for me and I hope would be for your listeners too.
1: Super. Eve, thanks so much for your time today.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: And that brings us to the end of today's episode, Leaky by Nature, Leaky by Design. What I really enjoyed was reflecting on the pivotal role of simulation as a building block of improving and strengthening organizational culture around psychological safety. We'll have an opportunity to delve into this a bit further when speaking to Simon James in our next episode, who is the CEO of Kim's Hospital. If you're a member of Medical Protection, please join us for the upcoming virtual workshop, Beating Burnout. This is a great opportunity to further explore today's topic with your peers during a live and interactive event. Register using the link provided in the podcast description Medical Protection will be releasing many more podcasts through 2023. So to make listening in the future easier, do subscribe to the channel and listen to podcasts while you go about your day. I've been your host, Dr. Najib Rahman. Goodbye for now.